Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. And I remind you that this is the true, eternal, trustworthy, inerrant word of the living God. I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is found in the law, I found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Notice the past tense, and then he shifts to the present. More than that, I continue to count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is found that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. May be seated. Now let's pray. Holy Father, keep us, our worship and the preaching and hearing of your word, free from all pride and from man centeredness, from robbing you of your glory and praise. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus the only true author and perfecter of our faith. May you increase and we decrease. In your name we ask it. Amen. I'm going to begin differently from how I began yesterday afternoon, Tim. I love you. I love your family. And I love your church. It is such an incredible privilege and joy to share this time with you and with your flock. Most of all, though, I love God for his incomprehensible grace of 42 years of friendship and sustained and maintained and picking up wherever we left off. It's been a huge blessing for 
Fema and me to be a part of this weekend. And I do want to say one word of thanks to Ben and Michael, wherever they are. Where are they? Yes, and to Max, and to the pastors and the staff, and the millions of volunteers all through Friday and Saturday, and making all of this possible and making it such a, a blessing and a joy. Thank you. So I'm honored to have the privilege of opening God's Word to you this morning. I had the same privilege 30 years ago, actually, 30 years ago, April of 1992, at Evangelical Community Church here in Bloomington, when Tim invited me to preach at his installation there. 30 years. I, I, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm the Alpha and the Omega, but I'm uh, uh, first and last, beginning and end, I don't know. Finishing what I started, I, I, that sounds too presumptuous. Uh, it's, it's just a, a privilege to be here. I, I had Tim preach my, uh, two of my installation services in 1993 after they left Wisconsin, then we left as well, went to Oklahoma City. And Tim preached my installation there in 1993. We were there 15 years. And then again, when we moved to Lyndon, Washington in 2007, and he graciously came again and preached at that installation as well. I don't know if I can return the favor at my retirement. We'll see 10, 15 years from now. If you're alive, if I'm alive, I'm... Lord willing, we'll, we'll see what he has in store. So obviously, this is the end of an era, the retirement of the senior founding pastor of 26 years. It's no small thing. It marks also the beginning of another chapter in the life of Trinity Reformed Church. It's a major transition. It's huge. And you are blessed by God to have a smoother than normal or an easier than usual transition from one senior pastor to another. Most churches go through a long search process and then they call a total stranger into their midst and ask him to be the shepherd of the flock. And this becomes an even dicier proposition when he has to follow the senior founding pastor of a church and one who's been here so long. But even as easy as this change is, and as well as you all know Jody, and where is Jody? Okay. <laughs> Even as well as you know him, you must know that there is an enemy of this church and an enemy of this transition who will seek in every way possible to disrupt and cause trouble. There will be temptations. There will be temptations to make 
comparisons and contrasts. Jody is not Tim 2.0. I know you know this in your head, but somewhere along the way, you're going to forget it. This is going to be difficult. It's going to be different. Tim and I have a dear mutual friend. I served under him as an associate pastor in Oklahoma City for many years before I became the senior. His arrival in that church caused a great whiplash in the church. Now, in that case, it was a whiplash towards something better and good. But the point being, it nevertheless was just a huge sea change. God intends to bring change. God intends to take you somewhere that either Tim didn't or Tim couldn't. But in either case, God intends to do something new and different. And God never follows a shepherd with a clone. Joshua was not Moses 2.0. Elisha was not Elijah. Timothy was not Paul. So die to expectations. Die to uh, comparisons. This is a new season, and God is in your midst to do a new thing. So I wish to speak to you this morning, both corporately and individually. It's, it's been a rather strange uh, process for me in preparing to preach because I feel like there's about four different focuses. There's the church corporate. There's then all of you individually. And then there's Tim. And then there's Jody. And so in the mix of it, figure out what the Spirit is saying to you and receive that. But I want to speak to you about how God would have you walk through this transition in a Christ-honoring, in a Christ-exalting way. So our text this morning provides great wisdom under two admonitions, how we should think about what is behind us and how we should consider and think about what is ahead of us and how to pursue that future. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching toward what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching toward what lies ahead. Now, what is this forgetting of the past? I thought that those who forgot the past were doomed to repeat it, that bad things would happen when you did that. And surely Paul doesn't mean for us to have amnesia or Alzheimer's about everything in the past. So what is this forgetting the past? What kind of forgetfulness is this? Well, let's consider first past sin. Now, there is a sinful forgetting of past sin. We should remember past sin to the extent that they lead us to repentance, that they lead us to humility, continual humility, and that they serve as an admonition to us to press on toward holiness. Paul remembered his past sins fruitfully as he himself confessed that I am chief among sinners. But beyond that, we should forget our past sins, as Paul says in Romans 6.2, for we have died to sin and we no longer live in it. As the psalmist said, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And the prophet Jeremiah, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. You have a long shared history together. And that means there has been a lot of sin. All sinners, all sinning against each other all the time. Tim confessed to it again 
yesterday here, knows his sin. So much sin. Bring it all under the cleansing blood of Jesus. Give and receive forgiveness, the forgiveness of Christ. Leave it at the cross. Let go of the regrets. Let go of your failures. Let go of it all. Let none of it hold on to you and do not hold any of it against anyone else. And so this applies, of course, to the whole flock as you move forward. It applies to you, Tim, as you reflect on 26 years of regrets and sin and unfaithfulness. Remember the Calvin quote that you had Joseph read yesterday and apply it to yourself. That God brought a sinner into the midst of a sinful people. Apply the principle of daddy tried to your ministry. Pastor tried. And leave the rest to grace. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So lingering over past sins, past failures, shame, guilt, it only leads to depression or despondency, to passivity. Forget what lies behind. Jesus died for them all, and so you can die to them too. Forgetting what lies behind. What about past grace? Now, you should not forget past mercies and grace as they lead us to worship, as they lead us to gratitude. Forget not all his benefits, as the psalmist says. So remembering God's goodness brings us encouragement and hope uh, to press on. And these kind of remembrances help us to make progress forward. And we spent a lot of time yesterday doing this very thing. But what Paul is urging us to forget here is anything that slows us or hinders our progress in pressing forward. His confidence in his own spiritual accomplishments kept him from Christ. So some people live in the past. Some people linger over past successes, past achievements and accomplishments and victories. This can lead to pride. This can lead to also complacency, resting on our laurels. Others look back on the past as the good old days, pining for times gone by. The Israelites in the wilderness were guilty of this very thing, looking back on their life in Egypt and taking their eye off the goal of the promised land. They wanted to walk by sight. They wanted to walk by what they knew. They were looking back and not wanting to walk by faith and trust God's leading and his future blessings. God had given them new leadership. He'd put them on a new path. He'd, given, he'd pointed them in a new direction, but they were still looking back on what they were to forget. What did Jesus say? Remember Lot's wife. So Paul has cast off his past life as rubbish, as, as dung, because it was a hindrance to his knowing Christ. He got rid of every opportunity that he had to put confidence in himself, to put confidence in his flesh, in his heritage, his pedigree, his good works, his self-righteousness and misplaced zeal for God and all the rest. It strikes me that Tim Tim Timothy has set something of an example for us all in this. Being a Wheatonite of Wheatonites, an evangelical of evangelicals, born of the tribe of Bailey, born into the tribe of Taylor, 
passionate for the word of God, as, uh, disciplining the church, though some would call it persecution, but... <laughs> and he could have been somebody. He could have been one of those celebrity pastors. He could have been a tall steeple pastor. He could have... He had the pedigree. He had the... He had the Cast it off. Paul didn't live on his experiences. He didn't live on the past. He didn't rest on his laurels. He didn't, he didn't rest on his superior upbringing or training or pedigree or talents. He didn't rest on his conversion or his third heaven experience or the miracles that he did. And he had a thorn in the flesh as a constant reminder to be humble before his God and to rest on God's sufficient grace. Apart from Christ, he was nothing, and he could do nothing. He had nothing. I'm preaching through the book of Acts right now. And in chapter 21, Paul comes back from his third missionary journey, and he goes to Jerusalem for the first time in many years that he had been there. And he gives a report to James and to the elders there. And it's very clear, specific, how Luke records what he said. He recounted all that he did. No, all that God did. Forget what gives you pride. Forget whatever you might boast in. Forget your accomplishments as a church and as individuals. Forget your buildings and your schools and your church plants and your presbytery and your books and your converts and your reputation and whatever it is that might make you proud or self-righteous or thinking too highly of yourselves. Forget about these past accomplishments to the extent that they make you think that that's what makes you pleasing to God or more righteous than other churches or other Christians. Don't look back even on your sacrifices and sufferings in a proud or smug manner. What do you have here? What do you have here that you have not received? It's all grace. It's all God's doing. Don't rob God the praise and the worship that is due Him, and the gratitude that belongs to Him. Don't linger there. Don't praise your gifts or spoil them. Now, it's true that God has blessed us all with every earthly blessing and benefit for which we should all and always give thanks. But the principle here again is never put trust in them, never boast in them as if they were our own doing. This church, this world, this country is too full of churches living on past glories, on some great past great preacher. I have a couple of friends who are pilots, Brian Bunn being one of them, known to many of you, I'm sure. They have a saying, there is nothing as useless to you as the runway behind you. In other words, thinking about what you could have done or should have done or wished you had done is useless. So don't let the past control you. Don't let it wreck the present or the future. Forget anything that hinders or slows you down from pressing forward. Let the past be like perfume. 
Something to sniff and enjoy, but don't drink it. <laughs> so this is forgetting what lies behind. Let's consider reaching forward to what lies ahead. When you're going through a major transition in life, it's essential to remember where you are and where you're going. What is your goal? What are you aiming at? For the Apostle Paul, this is how he was able to manage all of the changes and especially all of the suffering of his life in traveling thousands of miles, planting churches across Asia and Europe. And he had to have an especially clear vision of his goal and his purpose. And so he was clear about where he was spiritually. He was not perfect. He had not arrived. He had not attained what he was striving for. He had not yet attained the prize. And so like a heat-seeking missile, Paul pressed forward for this prize of the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. And this is the Christian life. It is constant movement. It's constant progress. And friends, yes, it's uphill both ways, all the way. The word for press on here is the same word that's used back in verse 6 when it speaks of Paul's zeal in persecuting the church. So press on with the same zealous commitment. He turned his zealous pursuit to persecute the church into a zealous pursuit to be like Christ. I understood from Jeopardy yesterday that one of Tim's favorite authors is C.S. Lewis. So I love the description that he gives in the Narnia Chronicles in the penultimate chapter of the last book, further up and further in. I've just... I've grabbed onto that, and it's been a part of my prayer life for so long. Lord, Lord, further up and further in. With Paul, enough was never enough. Contrary to what many evangelicals think, conversion was not enough. Even as dramatic as Paul's was on the Damascus Road. Today, the goal is what? Pray the prayer, accept Jesus into your heart, and you're good to go. With Paul, enough was never enough. Not even being caught up into the third heavens where he saw and heard things that cannot be uttered. Matthew Henry reflects that those who think they have enough grace, those who think they're good to go, show that they have little grace, if any at all. Where there is true grace, there is a burning desire for more and a pressing toward it. And Augustine said, the man who says enough, that man's soul is lost. The man who says enough, that man's soul is lost. He must be always unhappy with where he is. And if he will be unhappy with where he is, he will reach where he is not. So the calling of God never leaves us where it finds us. There is no standing still in the Christian faith. If you are where you, if you are right now where you are when you started, if you are, if you are where you are right now from just last year, you're disobedient. Paul was not satisfied. And if the apostle Paul was so dissatisfied with his life, 
then how much more dissatisfied ought we to be with ours? I mean, this man had seen the ascended Christ. This man had been lifted to the third heavens. He'd preached the gospel. He'd seen miracles and signs and wonders. And if he's not satisfied, he had a clear consciousness of his own imperfection, his weaknesses. So he's always pressing on towards this prize. And what is that? Well, he states it clearly for us. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. How is it that we're so complacent and so satisfied with our current condition? Are we striving? Are we straining? Are we advancing? Are we fighting? Are we dissatisfied with our, with our current progress? Again, individually, personally, family, church? How many of you feel like you should be further down the road? How many wish the mile markers were going by a little more quickly? How many distractions are there? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the Lord I love. How many thorns are choking out the word, the seed? In a in a world that is as distracting as ours is, we will make no progress without spiritual discontent, spiritual commitment to growth. I know Tim has spent 26 years pushing, pressing forward. The worth and value of this goal is seen in that so great a person as the Apostle Paul desired this more than anything else, certainly more than any of all the great earthly accomplishments that were his. And it's seen in how much he was willing to suffer to attain it. Does that tell us something about the nature of this upward calling, this prize? Go back and reflect on Jesus' two parables of the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. Reflect on what he's saying there, what he's calling us to. Paul did not live a passive spiritual life. He didn't let Christ lay hold of him, and then that's it. As the psalmist said, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And Paul had a similar desire, not only for himself, but for the churches he planted for the church. Go back and read those prayers in Philippians 1 and Colossians 1 and Ephesians. That your love may abound more and more. That you may increase in the knowledge of God. That you might be filled with the fullness of God. This is a man who has seen the prize. He knows its value. It's worth everything. Nothing else compares to it. And so this is what he presses on toward. And he uses two metaphors to to help us get this here. The first is this hunting metaphor to take hold of. This is the man who is pursuing his prey, that prize elk, and he's using concentrated effort to capture it. It's similar to the language that Jesus uses in Matthew 11. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent, the violent take it by force. And then the second metaphor is this running metaphor, straining ahead to the finish line. 
doesn't pull up at the end, but he sprints all the harder to the line. Imagine if Paul had stopped at his conversion and called that good enough. Imagine if he'd stopped after he'd seen the vision of the third heavens. Imagine if, if while he's writing this letter to the Philippians from prison in Rome, that he became weary and gave up. I can picture myself writing a letter that would say something about, call my lawyer, post bond already, get me out of here. But he's on a different mission, he's pursuing a different goal, and what's especially astonishing is, is that his particular circumstances are no hindrance to that at all. Nor are yours. This constant pursuit with joy and contentment. But dissatisfaction, put that together. You've probably seen them on YouTube, these compilation videos of people who thought they had gone far enough. They, they, there's these famous and infamous incidences of people in competition who thought they were good. And so they pulled up, they, they, they let up, they relaxed. And in fact, some of them start even celebrating prematurely and then they're eclipsed in the last second. Yell, eh. oh, whoa, how did, what happened? You know? I did get stuck for 15 minutes or so watching them. So to Tim, I would say, forget any thought that you've gone far enough and retire in ease and leisure. And I know that's not your plan. We know you're going to Germany to teach and preach and then Taiwan. But resist every temptation. Die with your boots on. I'm going back to Linden, and next week I'm conducting the funeral for an 83-year-old pastor who insanely died with his boots on against all of our counsel. Stop already. You're killing yourself. And he was doing some harm to his wife and family. But he was constitutionally incapable of stopping. So die fighting the good fight, Tim. Run the race all the way to the prize. This is not the time to give up your calling of knowing Christ and making him known. I know you know, I don't know if you know him personally or not, but Robertson McQuilkin, president of Columbia Bible College. And you may recall that poem that he wrote called, Lord, let me get home before dark. Don't let me fall short. Don't let me let up. You and I have talked about this business of getting older and as we draw near to heaven, feeling all kinds of feelings about that, unworthy. The closer you get to what is holy, the more you feel your unholiness, the more you're aware this light exposing the darkness. We see our spiritual poverty and our bankruptcy in starker relief. And so press on, further up, further in. 
to Jody and to the pastors and the elders and the leaders here. Forget about any thought of maintaining the status quo or thinking that we're good enough or that, you know, Tim laid a really good foundation. Let's just keep it at that. Now, again, I have no reason whatsoever in believing that anyone is thinking that. But somebody is. Satan. So set the pace, lead the flock uphill to take hold of the prize. It struck me just this morning thinking about it that this building next door here is an actually really good reminder spiritually to press on, to finish, to go towards the finish line. I don't know what that means about the building. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get involved in that. But, but I know what it means spiritually. And when you see it, let that be a reminder. This is not the time to relax or coast or rest on your laurels. Satan would love nothing more. And in fact, if he can start getting you to be a little critical, complain, whining, dividing over secondary things, he'll be thrilled. Remember how the Apostle Paul spoke to the church in Corinth about the conflicts that they were having, the divisions that were going on there, and the... the uh, Joint, taking sides. So it's Paul, the founding senior pastor. And then there's Apollos. And Paul says, I appeal to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united to the same mind and the same judgment. It's been told to me that you're quarreling. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. I follow Cephas. I follow. Is Christ divided? What then is Apollos, he says? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each of you. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. It is God who gives the growth. Don't argue, don't complain, don't major in minors. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Press to take hold of him. This is your upward calling. If Tim planted and if now Jody waters, so what? Neither is anything. It's God who works. It's he who has a plan and a purpose. Tim was God's servant assigned to you by God to bring you this far, but you haven't arrived. And now Jody is God's servant assigned to you. Remember, this is God's doing, not yours. And now he's assigned to you to take you the next part of the journey. And who knows how long that will be and how far it will go. But to hang on to Tim is to hang on to the past. This is God's new day, new way forward. Is not the foundation Jesus Christ? Is this not the goal? Is this not the prize? And can there be anything higher? It comes from heaven. One more point. Let's not miss the hope and the help and the encouragement that there is here in this text. That this running, this striving, this pursuing is not dependent on us or on our strength or on our wisdom. I press on that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Jesus, by Christ Jesus. I love, uh, glory to God, that the Spirit inspired that 
There's no unenabled progress. There's no unenabled victory. Taken hold of in order to take hold of. What a beautiful picture of God's grace towards us. He first loved us that we might be enabled to love him. He first apprehended us that having been apprehended, we might now apprehend him. We do nothing first. There is nothing new or original with us. He initiates, we respond. He leads, we follow. The hound of heaven, who then we hound after. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. He, in James 4, he gives more grace. First chapter of Philippians, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And chapter 2, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I'm so thankful there's not a period there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And again in 1 Corinthians 15, I worked harder than any of them, boasts Paul, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. There's a few commentators who think there's some lack of assurance of his salvation by Paul in the text that we read this morning. That, you know, he hasn't attained it, he hasn't gained it, he's, he's not arrived. And, and No, I think this is the proof of his salvation. The proof is seen in knowing that we have been laid hold of so that we might press on to lay hold of Christ. So brothers and sisters, forgetting what is behind, strain on for what lies ahead. Press on for the upward calling. Now who does this? Who consciously, intentionally thinks these in this way? I mentioned this dear friend that Tim and I have, mutual friend, retired pastor, 20 years older than us. When Pastor Jack retired from pastoral ministry in Oklahoma City, where I had served with him for seven years and then after him, he and his wife, in retirement, went to Albania as missionaries for the next nine years. It was a remarkable thing to see them. They were not in the greatest of health. They weren't in the prime of life, but they went to a difficult country. After that time, Jack retired from that and came back. And now for the last 12 years, he has been continuously pursuing God further up and further in. I've, I've never known a man who gets up on the mountain and stays as long as Jack. He's 85. He spends hours a day reading scripture, praying. In fact, right now he's praying for me and praying for us. And he's reading books about God and heaven. And he's pursuing God long into his retirement. And then I think of the example of Richard Baxter, the great Puritan pastor who said of his 140 books that the most important one was the saint's everlasting rest. 
It's an extended meditation on heaven. For 50 years, Richard Baxter reflected on heaven a half hour a day, usually on a walk right before dinner. And it's said that the result of this was that he became so heavenly minded that he became one of the most earthly good men of his time or of any time. So it's not just those who are old in retirement, but for 50 years. And then that phrase that Paul writes in 2 Timothy as he's at the end and reflecting. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have what? I heard it, longed for his appearing. Another translation has loved his appearing. Do you long for his appearing? Do we groan inwardly for his appearing? Do, do we, like in, in, in uh, Romans 8, groaning, right? For this glorious freedom of mind and body without sin, waiting, uh, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of the body. So set your minds on things above, not on things of earth. We've been gathered this weekend to celebrate life and the rich generosity of God and His grace. But let's celebrate not Him or Mary Lee, but let's celebrate what they lived for, who they lived for, what they pressed toward. Brothers and sisters, I, I wish that I could stir myself up and you all up with a passionate longing after Jesus to always be going onward and upward toward this, never self-satisfied, always laboring. May God help us to perfect holiness in the fear of God in the days that he gives us and may this pursuit guard your hearts and minds. May it guard your homes and families. May it guard your ministry here and this church. And especially, may it guard your unity and your love against all temptation and all opposition to the glory of God. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid a hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for this flock under your care and for everyone here that you would do for them and in them as Paul himself prayed for your church. Holy Father, by your enabling grace and power, cause the love here to abound more and more. Fill them with the knowledge of Jesus 
and of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding that they might walk and strain and run and press in a manner worthy of the one they are pursuing. Even you, Christ our Lord, would you strengthen and enable every step by that power that holds them and fill them with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus. And all of this we ask to the glory and honor and praise of your glorious name. And to this we all say, Amen.